Hey, I just want to give you a couple announcements real quickly. First of all, um, last week was our, we call it a soft launch. Basically, our, our we you know, opened up the building. So glad to be able to finally call this our home. But uh, I want to give you an announcement. So uh, coming up June 12th and 13th, 13th is a Sunday, 12th is Saturday. On those two days, we're going to have what we call our grand opening, okay, our hard launch. We're launching um, our summer church, and we're going to make it a big deal. We're going to ask, we're going to invite the mayor to come, dignitaries, friends and all that kind of just make it a really big special day. On that Saturday night before, we're going to have our very first concert here at uh, Summit Church. We're inviting Danny Goki. Uh, some of you may not may know him, Danny Goki. And he is uh, he was like a third place winner, American Idol on uh, season eight. Uh, used to be a worship pastor in Milwaukee. And uh, so he's bringing his whole band. They're going to come down that Saturday night. We're going to have our own concert. And here's the good news. We're, we're going to make it free. We're going to make it free. And uh, we're going to invite you to come. And... Um, so just put that on your radar. June 12th, we'll give you more details on the days um, as the weeks progress and all that kind of stuff. But that, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that time together. Well, I don't know if you heard about um, an 80-year-old man. He was on his moped at a stoplight waiting for the light to change. And about that time, this guy drove up in a Ferrari next to him. The old man looked over next to that Ferrari and said, wow, boy, that's a... Quite a machine. He said, oh, yeah. Zero to 62 in 2.9 seconds. 12-cylinder engine under this thing. This is a bad, 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 bad machine. The old man said, can I look in that thing? He said, sure. So he leaned over, and he's looked inside that machine, that Ferrari. He said, wow, the smell of the leather. Look at all those controls. Son, that's a beautiful, beautiful car. He goes, well, thank you. About that time, the light turned green, and that young man in that Ferrari thought he was going to show off that little car. He took off. He peeled the tires, and he was at 60 in three seconds. And he's so proud of himself. He thought, well, I'm really impressing that old man. He looked in his rearview mirror, couldn't even see him. He was driving down, smiling to himself, and thought he'd uh, kick it up a little bit more, and and uh, got up to about 100 miles an hour, and he looked in his rearview mirror, and he saw a little dot in his rearview mirror, and the dot got a little bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, it flew right past him on his left. He thought, what in the world is going faster than I can go? And it looked like that old man in the moped. And it got way out of sight, and then it started coming back in sight again, and it flew back behind him, and he said, that was the old man in the moped. He goes, this can't be happening. So he, he, he punched up to 200 miles an hour, 200 miles an hour, looked in that rearview mirror. He's like, he'll never, he'll never catch me now. Next thing you know, there's that little dot again. It got bigger and bigger. It slammed into the back of his car. He put on the brakes, he got out of his car, he went back there and sure enough, it was the old man in the moped all crinkled up in this bumper. He said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? The 80 year old said, yeah, you can get my suspenders off your side view mirror. <laughs> oh my. Have you ever felt like you've been on a ride like that? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Out of control. Have no idea what's going on. Like life's traveling faster at me than I can stand at this moment. Just waking up and next thing you know, it's time to go to bed. It's just like, what's going on? It's so much 
going on. It's like sometimes you look at life, it's almost like you're riding a bull, isn't it? You just kind of like hold on for all you got. Well, we re- I was invited recently to go fishing and uh, tuna fishing. In fact, I've never been tuna fishing. And so we went down to Venice, Louisiana, and we went 50 miles offshore, and we were on this uh, two, um, two, two, two-hole type of a boat with four engines, 350 horsepower each on the back. And, and the, ro- ro- the waves were about four to eight feet at that time, believe it or not. It was overcast day, but we were flying across the top of those waves, and it was just so much fun. We got out to this oil rig, and there were about three other boats already out there, and they were just, they had their poles in the water and they weren't catching anything. But this captain we had, he seemed to know where the fish were. And we put our poles in. Next thing you know, where's the bites coming left and right? And then I got a bite. And let me tell you something. Lord Jesus, I think it was Jonah's whale. I'm serious. That, that thing just went over like that and almost took me over. I'm like, whoa! And I'm trying to reel in. And all I could hear was zee! And for those fishermen, you know what that is. That, that fish is taking your line. And I'm like reeling, but nothing's happening. Zing! And I'm like, hey, hey, Mr. Captain, like this thing's taking my line. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. He'll wear out. But it wouldn't stop. It was like, zing! and I'm watching that spool, that, that spool of, of, of line go just shrink down, shrink down, shrink down. And I finally said, hey. I'm running out of line. He goes, ah. I said, serious, come over here. He came over and looked at me. He goes, oh, my goodness. I mean, we were like probably 30 feet away from the end of the line. And so he says, you got to turn the head. You got to turn the head. I'm like, <laughs> and he's working this thing. And next thing you know, he hands it back to me. I'm like, what happened? He goes, I turned the head. Just start reeling it in. So I start reeling it in a little bit at a time. Reel it in. Reel it in. Anyway, after about 45 minutes, maybe been an hour, could have been three days, could have been six weeks, I don't know. <laughs> about that time, I see, I see this fish right underneath the surface of the water. It's there. It's like mammoth. It's Goliath. It's like something out of Jurassic Park. Big old fat eyeballs, and I'm thinking to myself, I just need one more pull to get it up on the surface so the captain can gaff this thing and pull it into the boat. And so I went, ah! And when I went like that, all of a sudden the, 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 the line went like that, and I went, ah! And I saw the hook. The hook was up in the air. I'm like, no! gaffed the, 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 the fish the same time that the hook came out. They were pulling it up. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> I tell you what, that was a moment I'll never forget in my life. I'm like, how, how cool is that? I mean, the guy, he gaffed it at the very moment that I lost it. Isn't that how God, so, I mean, that's kind of like God, right? I mean, just when you think you totally lost it, it's everything game over, suddenly God comes down with his God gaff. <laughs> and he spares, you know, the situation. And, and uh, I have to be honest a little, I mean, I didn't do all the work. I did hand it off several times, so I, I can't take all the credit. So it was a team effort. And we're going to start a series this week. It's, we're calling it Seize the Day. Seize the day, or carpe diem, which is the Latin word for seize the day. It was 
comes from a poet, a Roman poet by the name of um, Horace years ago, 2,000 years ago, who actually turned these words together, seize the day. And we're going to talk about that for a few weeks. How do you take advantage of every moment of the day? What does that look like? And how important is that to seize the day? According to psychologists, the average person get this, spends 47% of his time, let's just call it half this time, half of his time thinking about something else while he's doing one thing. So you're actually doing something, but you're spending half your time while you're doing it, doing something else in your mind. You're not even thinking about what you're doing at the moment. What we're doing is we're living many times in the wrong time zone. We're living our life one way, but actually other things are going on in our heart or our soul, in our mind. We may be there present on the job, but we're depressed. We may be there present in school, but we're stressed out and we're worried. We may be there present in the family, but we're worried about the future and we're thinking how we're gonna pay the bills. We may, we may be there in the moment in this conversation, but I'm actually distracted because I'm thinking of this over there, or I'm frustrated because I'm thinking about that over there, or I'm overwhelmed because of all this stuff that's coming into my life. And so we really don't even live moment by moment in the moment, we live half the moment in the moment. Turn to your neighbor, this is a good time just to punch him in the side and tell him to pay attention. Come on. Get, get with it here. So we're half present half the time. What does that mean? If we're half present half the time, it means we live our life half alive. We live our life half alive. And the only way to be fully alive is to be fully present all the time. My wife the other day, she, she was uh, packing some sandwiches and stuff um, for me. And so she put this sandwich in this Ziploc bag and she, she, she zipped it and then she, she did this thing. And I was, I'll never forget this. She did this. I'm like, what was that all about? What did you just do? She said, I was sealing your sandwich. I'm like, you were doing what? She said, I was sucking all the air out of your bag so it would be fresh. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Can I have like 10 sandwiches? You watch you faint right here in the kitchen? Come on. <laughs> but the point is, we need to live our life in a vacuumed, sealed compartment. Because right now, this sandwich, the only thing going on with this sandwich is the sandwich. There's nothing else going on around this compartment, around this Ziploc bag. And in the Bible, the Bible teaches us over and over again to be in the moment every day of our life. It says things like this. It says, um, give us this day our daily bread. It says things like this. Take up your cross daily. It says things like this, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart, enter his courts with praise. This is the day that the Lord has made. Somebody, I told people not to do this last week. I shared the story how I used to lead worship with a tambourine, and when I came home Tuesday, there was a tambourine in my house. 
a green tambourine and and it was tempting. I, I had to do something with it. And, and so I annoyed my wife and family and picked that thing up. And we began to sing this little chorus. It's like it just, well, I just picked it up and suddenly songs came to my mind. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice. Come on, you know that song? How many know that song? And be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day. Woo! I. Oh. Oh, come on, that's good, baby. <laughs> we, we got the Mormon Tabernacle Choir right up in here in Foley, Alabama. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't worry about tomorrow. See, I have no idea what goal you're going after. I don't know what problem you're actually dealing with right now. I don't know what habit you're trying to break. I don't know what habit you're trying to build this very day. But I do know this. You can do anything you want if you do it one day at a time one day at a time. And then you get up tomorrow and you do it all over again, one day at a time. And then the next day, one day at a time. And before long, you guess what? You're on a winning streak. And in the Bible, we call that sanctification. That's a big word. What does that mean? It means you're getting better every day. That means you're becoming more holy every day. That means you're becoming more like Jesus every day. You're becoming, you know, in Pentecostal, you're becoming sanctified. That's what they would say it in, the, in the, some churches. And you're, learning, you're on a winning streak. Yeah, I'm starting to feel comfortable right now. I'm starting to get in my groove. And we're in a series called Carpe Diem. And here's the good news. You can build habits every day that will cause you to seize every moment of your day. And I want to give you a few tools that you can use to build habits that will allow you to take advantage of every day. Because if you work at it long enough and if you work at it hard enough and you work at it smart enough, you will become this person that God intended you to be. You will gain the very purpose in which God put you on this earth to, to accomplish and to do and to become. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You can't read that scripture and go, wow, that's an amazing passage. It's the truth that there are some things that you can't even fathom that God wants to do in and through your life. And so today, we want to begin to enter into that. There was a person that said years ago, he said, sometimes decades pass and nothing happens. And then there are times when decades happen in a day. Man, that really caught my, my attention. I began to think, well, what, what kind of things happened in a day that really was like decades happened. The number one most infamous invention ever made in humankind was the invention of the printing press. 
And for decades, nothing happened. Knowledge never was going fast. People were not learning. People were not able to become educated in a mass way. But when they invented the printing press, when Gutenberg invented the printing press, in that day, decades happened. And for the first time, information and knowledge was now accessible to everyone in the world. When we think of things like the light bulb, we think of, wow, a decade happened in just a day. When we think of the creation of the telephone, we think, wow, decades happened in literally a day. And personally, I remember decades that happened in one day when I got my first job or when you got your first car or when you got married. Man, that, what a, that was incredible. What an incredible day that was. Or when you had your first child or more importantly, when you received Jesus into your heart, suddenly decades took place in one moment in one day. And what if we could live every day when every moment being right there in that moment? There's this concept called mind over matter. How many have heard that before? Mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. And that's not the concept. But, <laughs> but when the, the journey of transformation begins, everything begins as a thought. We start with our Stinking thinking. And Psalms 139, out of the Message Bible, I have to read this. It's so rich in its language about how God so knows you and how you were in his mind from the very beginning of creation. Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You, you're breathtaking, Body and soul, I am marvelously made. And I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculptured, sculpted to birth. All the stages of my life, I sculpted from nothing, excuse me, into something like an open book. You watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. And the days of my life all prepared, or let me say it like this, all thought out before I'd even lived one day. God thought it all out. He was all in. He was in the moment. And your existence began with a thought. The earth began with a thought in God's mind. You were God's idea. You were a result. You are a result of God's imagination. And for some of you, his imagination was working overtime when he made you. There's no one else like you in all of the earth. No one can worship like you. No one can love like you. No one can give like you. No one can serve like you. You are an amazing creation by God. And the thoughts that I allow in my head are the key of my internal monologue. What I say to myself is huge. What I tell myself every day is enormous. They did research and they found that the average person has 60,000 thoughts that run through their brain every day. No wonder you're so ex exhausted at the end of the day. No wonder you have a headache by the time you get to sundown. You're, you're 60,000 thoughts going, snapping through your brain. And now they said, well, let's figure out Let's measure these thoughts. Let's do some research. And they came to the conclusion that 80% of the thoughts that you have in your mind 
are negative. Now just, just, just think about that for one, one moment. 60,000 thoughts, 80% have a negative connotation, have a negative bent, have a negative uh, 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 slant to it. That when you see something, you don't see the faith side. You don't see the positive side. You see the negative side. You, you see the fear side. You see the, 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 the wrong side. And God is calling us to change our mind because Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So what basically we're living in a world full of a bunch of negative, depressed, discouraged, anxious, stressed out, worried people. And God's saying, you can change the story. You can flip the script. You can change how this is happening if you want. You can totally make a makeover on your brain and your thoughts, and you can take those thoughts captive, and you can replace the negative with the faith, and you can watch me do miracles in your life. Isn't that good news? Come on, give God some praise for that. So there's a guy named Joseph in the Bible, incredible character. And so this guy, J Joseph, just give you the backdrop real quickly, has a dream. He's a young man. His brothers, he had lots of brothers, and they all thought he was dad's favorite. And one day, this young son, brother of these other guys said, hey, I, God gave me a vision last night in my dreams. And, and, and he spoke this vision, which you got to be careful what you say to who. And he wasn't too careful with what he shared. And he shared about how one day his brothers, who he's talking to, would actually bow down to him. And they're like, seriously, really? That's what you want to talk about right now? Okay, you know what? We're done with you. We're tired of you. You are nothing but a problem. We would be better off without you. And so they go through this series of events where they literally throw him in a pit. They, 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 they sell him to some, some people heading to Egypt to, to be a slave. And then they tell their father that he was eaten, you know, by a wild animal. And he's no longer a part of the family. He's gone. And so now this guy, Joseph, finds himself in a foreign country being betrayed by his own brothers. And he finds himself becoming a property manager at this guy's house named Potiphar. And he just handles everything so well and so um, excellent that the, finally the guy, the owner of the property said, you know what, I don't even care about anything going on. Everything's just doing so well. Everything, we're prospering. And I don't, all I care about is what I eat. And that's all he cared about. And he just gave full control. Well, the guy, property manager's wife, uh, while the property manager, uh, pro the guy that owned the property was away, uh, saw, saw him and thought, man, I, I'd like to, you know, hang out with this guy. And she came on to him. And next thing you know, um, uh, he runs out of the room and she feels humiliated and feels rejected by this guy, Joseph. And so she, she makes up a story about him. And the owner of the property comes home and hears what she says and so throws him into jail. And they're in jail. He's there. And we see no record of anything in his life where he's ever murmuring. He doesn't grumble, doesn't complain, doesn't, doesn't get mad or angry. He just goes about his business. And next thing you know, even the warden of the jail is like, you know, dude, you're something, there's something about you. And he gives him responsibilities after responsibilities. 
comes to find out not only does Joseph know God and have a relationship with God, but Joseph really learns that God gives him interpretations to dreams. And so he interpreted a couple dreams these guys had in jail. And, and next thing you know, Pharaoh, the king himself, had a dream and no one could interpret, including all of his wise men. So they called on this guy in jail, Joseph, and comes in and God gives him the answer to his dreams. The king says, you know what, you're number two, I'm going to make you number two in the land. He becomes prisoner to number two in the land, just like that. How many know God can flip the script anytime? It don't take much. Flip the script. Next thing you know, he goes from jail to palace. He's calling shots all across. He's got all these people working for him. He's the administrator of the nation for the king. And lo and behold, there comes a plague, a famine on the land, all that region. But because of Joseph's interpretation of the dream, they'd stored up so much food. And so people are coming from all around the world just to get some food to live. And guess who shows up? What a great story. His brothers. But they don't know it's Joseph because Joseph is now speaks Egyptian language. He's dressed in Egyptian. In fact, he even had a different name at that time. And they show up and they reveal themselves to him. And he's like, wow. I can't imagine what's going on in his mind. Isn't this ironic? I have a dream. I say it. You throw me in a pit, sell me to some slave runners, and now you're bowing down to me. They bowed down to him, and this is what Joseph says. He said, he says, well, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to save that for a minute. But this is the moment in Joseph's life where decades happened in a day. A moment when everything came together. A moment when all the pain finally made sense. A moment when all of the questions finally have answers. A moment when all the problems finally have solutions. All the things he had gone through in the pit, all the things that he was thinking in his mind, how in the world? I must not even know God. I'm a, I thought God had great plans for me. I thought God had some, some things he was going to do for me. He's going to use me this way, that way. No, man, at all. He's wondering what in the world has happened, what's happened, and what's happened. He could have wondered all those things. No doubt he did. But it all made sense in one moment, and this is what he says to his brothers. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, he flipped the script. In one moment, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he had 50-20 vision. Come on. He had something going supernatural. He saw it all made sense. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you intended to destroy me, God meant to make me. You intended to wipe me out, but God intended to build me up. I'm telling you that God is building up his people, and if you'll just let him flip the script, everything will change. Quit crying in your milk. Quit mumbling and grumbling because everything seems to be falling apart around you. Rise up and be a Joseph in the hour and understand that God's plan is bigger than you can even imagine or think. And if you'll let him have full control and just be positive and faith-filled the whole time, God will flip that script. And one day, you'll be just like Joseph and you'll look down and you go, oh, I see. Oh, it all makes sense now. I see what God was doing now.
And he flips the script. Really quickly, in just a few minutes we have left, three ways that you can flip the script. Number one, you gotta know your name. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, what's your name? You gotta know your name. What do you mean by that? What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that, Pastor? One of the first things that Patrick and Hannah begin to teach their daughters, little Ava Grace, my granddaughter, is growing. Is they begin to teach her, obviously, her name. She hasn't quite gotten that yet. She knows her name, but, you know, she, <laughs> I'll say, you know, I'll say pop. I'm trying to teach her how to say pops, you know, because that's what I want, I want to be called. So I'll say pops, and she'll look and she'll go pops to herself. I'm like, no, you're not pops. I'm pops. But we, we wanted to learn her name. I like what someone said, I am not what I think I am. And I am not what you think I am. But I am what I think you think I am. And that is the truth many people live today. We don't live the way we really are or even how we really want to be seen. Or li we live how we want you to perceive us or how we think you perceive us is who we think we really are. Let me say it again. I am what I think you think I am. Many people live according to other people's expectations and they narrate their own story. But the purpose of the Bible, here's the good news, is to show you who you are. That's why you need to read this. You don't need to read it because mama said you need to read it. You don't need to read it because the preacher said you need to read it. You need to read it so when you look at this, it will define to you who you are. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm set free. I'm, I'm liberated. Come on, I'm adopted. I'm blameless. I'm sealed by the Holy Ghost. I'm chosen. I'm stamped by the hand of God. I got to know what it says. And if I don't know what it says, then enemy comes to me, and I don't even know it, and he tells me all sorts of lies, and I go, oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. And then you tell me lies, and I go, oh, that's true, too. And next thing you know, I don't know what's true. I, I don't even know what, but if I know what God says is true, then I know whatever I hear you say or my mind say, I go, whoa, 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 no, 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 devil. You're not going to do that to me because the God said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not a nobody. Who do you think you are? You're talking to the wrong person. You're barking on the wrong person. So we got to know who we are. And Joseph's name, he was, they changed his name. When the, the, the Pharaoh's like, we, we got, we're going to make this guy number two. What's your name? Joseph. Oh, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not Egyptian at all. We're going to name you an Egyptian name. What are you going to name me? We're going to name you Zafinath Paniah. <laughs> what? Zafinath Paniah. This shall be called Zephyrath Paniah, and he shall call all the shots for the country. This Joseph thing, just keep that between us. That didn't happen, okay? No Joseph. And the world will try to give you a name. And they will try to change your name. And they will tell you that you're not who God says you are, but you are who we say you are. And listen, it's called cancel culture. Come on, somebody. And if you don't know your name, cancel culture will eat you up and chew you out, chew you up and spit you out. You got to know who you are in Christ, what God's word says, what is truth, what is yay, what is amen, and who God says you are. 
how can you, how can you take advantage of every day if you have no idea who God, the Bible says in James, we've read it a few weeks ago, that in the book of James it says that, that many people, like, they read this Bible, they look at the Word, and then walk away, and they forget what it says about you, about yourself. And it's like a person who looks into a mirror, and he walks away and forgets what they looks like. Well, that's what we do if we look at the Word. When we look at the Word, what we need to be seeing is what God says about me, who Christ is in me. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So when I read this Word, I go, oh, yeah, okay, I see that. And I walk away, and I don't forget that. I, kept, I walk in what I read and hear God saying who I am. Does that make sense to somebody this morning? So you got to know your name. Number two, if we're going to flip the script, we got to fix our focus. You got to fix your focus because what you focus on determines your future. They say when you're out at sea and you start getting a little seasick, that what you got to do is you got to look at the horizon. You can't be looking all about the seas and everything going on, all the turmoil. You got to lift up your head and just keep your eyes on the horizon. If you're looking at an excuse, guess what? You're always going to find an excuse. If you're looking for something to be grateful for, you're always going to find something to be grateful for. If you're looking for someone to blame, you're always going to find someone to blame. What are you going to focus on? I like what Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8 says. Do not be anxious about some things. What does it say? Oh, do not be anxious about anything? Does it say Anything? Look at that. That's pretty cool. Anything? Right there? Is that what that says? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what will happen? And the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, because you can't understand it. So, like, I shouldn't be feeling peace right now. Why am I feeling peace? Because you can't understand it. Because that's what God does. It will guard your heart. It will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, focus. Well, it doesn't say focus, but that's what he's trying to say. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about those things. We, we probably, we should commit 4-8 to memory. We should walk around and just, when people say, oh, did you know uh, we heard about the economy? Oh, 4 8. What? 4 8. What's that? Oh, I'm not going to think about that. That's not praiseworthy. That's not excellent. It's not going to give me joy. Uh, did, did, you hear about, uh, did you hear about what so and so said about you? Did you see that post they put on your Facebook? Oh, 4 8. 4 8. What, what's that mean? It's not joy. It's not bring me joy. It's not admirable. It's not, it's not, it's not beautiful. It's not excellent. It's not pure. I'm 4-8-ing you, baby. I'm 4-8-ing you out of my mind. <laughs> in the psychological world, in psychology, they give you a term called cognitive reappraisal. In other words, what it means is you have to tell yourself a different story. And Joseph told himself a different story. We see that in chapter 50 of Genesis that we read, verse 20. He said, 
there's a whole other thing going on. The, the story, see, whenever stuff comes against you, you have to understand God's got a different story. He's got a different, it's not what it always looks like. There's another story. What is it that God, because you meant this, but God meant this. So I, I don't care what you think. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know his story. So he began to tell himself another story. You intended to harm me, but that's not where I'm putting my focus because my God is a good God. So do whatever you want to do to me. Hit me, harm me, kick me, you push me. I don't care. God's got the final story. I'm going with his story. I'm going with this story. So how do you fix your focus? You got to, first of all, fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Isn't that what the whole story about Peter and the getting out of the boat thing? Wasn't that what that was all about? It was a lesson for us that no matter what storm's going on in our life, if we keep our focus on Jesus, we're not going to sink. But the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus off of what the story he's writing, then we begin to get anxious and discouraged and stressed out. Focus on Jesus. We need to keep, we need to keep an, an attitude of thankfulness. It would be good for you to begin to start a journal and start writing down things that you're thankful for. Um, get every morning just, you know, most of the time what we do is we, we pray to God, we just tell him everything we want him to do and then we say amen to it. Instead of doing that, why don't you just get a journal out and start telling God all the things you're thankful for. Focus on him. And we need to maybe perhaps think about fasting. Uh, you know, maybe fast a meal. Fast uh, once a day a week. Go without something and spend that time focusing on the Lord. Maybe we should consider meditating silently on the Lord. Uh, and just getting away and just, the other night I had an opportunity, I was by myself, I, I believe it or not, and you know what I'm probably saying, you live down in this place so near the beach and near the water and everything, you never get to experience it because you're just working so hard. And I was down by the beach and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just go sit on the beach and I put some ear plugs in and I and earphones on and, and I put in some worship music and the sun was going down and can I just tell, I had a moment I love that. I just had a moment, and I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just standing on the beach. I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your greatness. God, what is it you want to do in our community? What are you doing to do in our region? I'm a worship team. Why don't you come as we final finish this out. Number three, how do we flip the script? We have to change our own story. Change your story. You have to change your story. They did some research, and they found that the biggest they found the biggest predictor of a child's emotional well-being. Don't worry about these people; they're just going to their place before we have to all be dismissed. I think. Um, <laughs> but they, what is the biggest predictor of a child's emotional well-being? And you would think, well, you know, maybe attending private school, maybe that would be a predictor of how well they're going to acclimate to the world, and maybe lots of kisses and hugs, you know, maybe that would be, that's probably what causes a, 
a child to become very well-rounded. Maybe, maybe it's regular trips to Disney World. Come on. <laughs> That's what makes a kid become a very mature young person. Can I tell you this? None of those things. What they found that has the biggest impact of creating a well-rounded, emotional young person is knowing their family history. Do you know that? Now, my mom does a very good job of that for us. I know all the stories about my, my grandpa, my grandma, and great-grandma, and great-grandpa, and all that kind of thing. Some of you are in situations where maybe that wasn't allowed. Maybe you lost a parent at a young age, a couple parents. Maybe you just, that's all kind of like foreign to you, where you came from. But it helps your identity. So telling stories to your kids is important for those of you who are in that place. Let them know where you came from, what you're about, what your life was like growing up, what your parents were like when they were training you. Knowing those things causes a young person to feel like, you know what, I'm part of something bigger. It's not just about me. I'm part of something that's got life to it, that's a lineage, it's a line. I told my son, we were growing up, I said, when he was growing up, I said, listen, son, we, I was correcting him, I said, son, listen, Wilsons don't do that. Now, everybody else may do that, but not Wilsons. Do you understand me? You're a Wilson, and Wilsons don't do that. <laughs> and when I heard his kids talking to one of his friends, he goes, I can't do that, I'm a Wilson. <laughs> it's important to know where you came from. But it's more, most important to know where you came from. You're a part of God's story. So I don't have a story. Don't you have a story? You're a part of God's big story. His big plan. And you're not here by some random accident. You're not in this area by some random accident. You're not part of this local church by some random accident. You're a part of a bigger story that God wants to do, and he wants to use you to do it. Aren't you glad there's a place for you? I'm glad there's a place for you. Yeah. yeah. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment this morning. If you're here this morning, as we just heard, you're not here by accident. And perhaps it's time for you to flip the script, and to rewrite your story. What happened to you in the past perhaps was regretful and terrible, but can I tell you that God is meant for it for good. God has intended it for good. I just want to have a word of prayer as our altar teams come to the front, and I just want to pray for you this morning, right where you're at. Would you just say this prayer if you want to know Jesus and you're ready to commit your life to the Lord, with eyes closed, heads bowed, would you say this, Lord Jesus? In fact, let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for running from you, but I give you my life now and let you write my story. 
I set my focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we're thankful that you prayed that. We would ask you to fill out a little connect card there in that seat in front of you. And we'd love for you to take that card, say, I accepted Christ, and go outside to that tent on your way out. We have a tent set out. We want to give you, those that prayed that prayer for salvation, accepted Christ, want to give you a Bible, give you a couple of things to help you on your journey, to get you started on this wonderful life of salvation. We have some prayer teams that are going to be here to pray with us this morning. We don't want you to leave without having any, all of your prayer needs met. It's our honor and our privilege to be able to do that. The sinks will be over there offering communion as well in that little room. And I'm going to have us all stand. I'm going to ask Patrick to come and dismiss us in prayer. And Patrick, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like for you to pray a prayer over us that God will help us keep our focus. Amen? And the, amen, will you do that? All right, man. Bless Let's you, pray. God, I thank you for each person in here today, God, as we go throughout our week, Lord Jesus. As our Monday is coming tomorrow, Lord, I pray that your spirit would go with us, that your spirit would be around us, that your presence would motivate us, Jesus, that everything we touch, Lord, everything we put our hands on, God, that you would bless it, that you would prosper it, Jesus, that we would seize the day, God. Lord, I pray that you would remind us every day that you are for us and not against us, that you are with us, and that whatever comes our way, God, you mean it for good. Lord, you mean it for good. And so, Lord, today we receive it in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you receive it today, everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, before you go, just want to say we're going to have communion right over here to my right, to your left. Um, our pastors are going to lead that. We had a great time last week. If you'd like to take communion, do that. This Wednesday night, we're going to have our students in middle school and high school at 6.30 and our, um, and our Wednesday night Bible study in here as well. We love you, church. Have a great Mother's Day. We'll see you next week. God bless you.